Next on Rugby Wrap-Up, part two of our interview with head coach Gary Gold of USA Rugby's Men's 15s Eagles. So moving ahead, there's a small window in December where certain players are, are eligible to be captured, as they say, uh, as per the three-year residency rule. Kind of guys like uh, Brad Tucker and J.P. Smith, for instance, out of Major League Rugby. What are you guys looking at in terms of that? You know, the issue we've got there, um, Matty, is, is we've also got to work within the Reg 9 window that World Rugby gives us. And I think, you know, that, that's, that's probably going to be the window that we're going to use at this moment in time, you know, that, that if the guys are meeting those criteria and, you know, they can potentially be kept, uh, you know, we use it at that time. We, we have had conversations about looking at players like that who can potentially be kept. But, you know, then, as you quite correctly say, you know, having a look at options and see what we've got later in the year, in November, December, um, to, to see what fixtures can be out there and can actually be accommodated in the schedule. It's not that easy just to go out and say, oh, we'll, we'll have a game against somebody. I mean, there's, there's loads of costs that have to be involved. We have to get it signed off by World Rugby. And so at this stage, COVID, you know, COVID is an issue. You know, certain countries that you can and can't go to and certain countries that are very difficult to travel to. And so, you know, those are all things that are in the works at the moment now. But as I, as I mentioned to you earlier, in fact, what you brought up earlier was there's also an APC tour. So that's an opportunity to potentially take a couple of guys on tour. So there's quite a lot of rugby between now and the end of the year where, where that, is, that is an opportunity to be able to, to, to capture and, and hopefully select a handful of those players. So you don't necessarily have to wait until December to capture the, oh, I guess you have to wait until their, their three-year residency actually kicks in. Because then on January 1st, it's five years, right? Yes, yes. So, so that's where, where uh, that's how it changes. It changes at the end of the year, December the 31st to January 1st. The regulation changes that you have to have a five-year residency and not a three-year residency. But the fact of the matter is December is, I wouldn't say it's irrelevant, but, but the issue is, you know, if there's a guy who meets those criteria now, then he's available to be picked now. If there's a guy who doesn't meet the criteria now, then he's not available to pick, to pick be picked now in any case right so the fact of that is if he doesn't meet, reach that criteria now and he doesn't reach it in december december is irrelevant you know right. he has to have reached those three years of of and there's quite a significant list of what you have to reach it's not literally just i'll come over and park off in the states for a couple of months and play some rugby and then i'm eligible i mean you literally have to have been in the country for you know, for, for a significant, well, you basically have to have been in the country for the entire three years and right. have to be self-sufficient in doing so. Okay. Do, do you do you like the fact that it's increasing to five years? No, not really. Because it kind of um, hurts the minnows, as they call them, more than it does the big fish, right? It does. It does. Yeah, look, it's going to, I mean, it's going to hurt anybody. I mean, if you see a team like Scotland and you see how many foreign nationals they have been able to capture over the years, even, even you know, even, even the, five, the five nations, even... Even teams like Wales and you know and, and Ireland uh, to a degree, Scotland seemed to have a lot more than anybody else. But I mean, they they've certainly I mean, Scotland came out quite publicly and said that they were going on a recruiting program to find anybody who had a grandmother or or could meet those residency rules. You know, now it's going to be very much more difficult um, when you're going to bring a guy over who's 21 years old and he's only going to play Test match rugby when he's 26. But in saying that, in say, I mean, I don't like it from the fact of point of view that it's five years, but in saying that, 
it's not anything I've lost any sleep over because our strategy in any case at USA Rugby is that we, we rather want to work with the people who are here. You know, why don't we spend, stop worrying about trying to capture other guys from other countries. And I mean, if a guy is here and he's made his, his home here and he wants to play MLR rugby, like Rickard Hatting, for example, and Rickard's been here for a number of years, he's been here from the beginning and he's lived here and he's an American citizen and he's now got his green card and he lives here with his wife and, you know, they, they're basically Americans. No problem for him to play. Well, except when he's when he becomes when he, when he becomes red card Haddock, right? <laughs> except that, yeah. But um, but there's not a problem with 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 that. So I, I don't begrudge that at all. But I, I and I've, I think we've spoken about this before. Is you know I don't I wouldn't necessarily want to be putting our time and energy into capturing foreign players at the sacrifice of looking after American kids. You know, there's hundreds, hundreds, if not potentially thousands of kids who are playing rugby in high school, rugby in college, rugby at clubs, and who are not yet playing rugby, but are, can be amazing rugby players, who, who that's where we're putting our time and energy at the moment. You know, we're working with, I mean, again, another reason why, how, how we were able to pick up Tavita Lepetti, for example. You know, Tavita had been identified in the talent ID. He was on our death chart. A young kid, 21 years old, 20 years old at the time, actually 19 at the time of being identified. Uh, good relationship with uh, St. Mary's and, and um, the, you know, the good men up at St. Mary's, Tim O'Brien. Um, you know, and getting on the call and, and having conversations with, with, with Tim and, uh, and Brendan, and, and then the next minute, you know, you're getting good references, and then you put those references into watching the player, and the next minute, the guy's being capped, you know, for the Eagles. And, and I thought played very, very well for us, you know. So it's uh, those, those are the type of guys we should be putting our time and energy into. You know, that touches upon what the difference between the United States and another country. Like everybody says, you have to apply the model of England and Ireland, and those are tiny countries. And you're forced because of the sheer geography of the United States to rely on word of mouth for the most part, or not the most part, but a lot of the times. And you put a, you, you put stock in a guy like Tim O'Brien at St. Mary's giving you advice or Josh Macy at Lindenwood, right? You, you, you kind of, you have to do that. You have to have a pipeline. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, even a guy like, well, not even a guy like Jack, uh, uh, you know, Jack Clark is, an absolute wealth of knowledge. Now, even if it's not a guy who's coming out of Cal, if it's a guy who Jack played against, you know, Jack can have an opinion on him. You know, there, uh, there, there's so many good guys in the system. I'd, I'd hate to start naming them all because there's so many good guys that we've built relationships up with. Yeah, we're, we're bound to leave people out that, you know. And- yeah, we're bound to leave people out. And, uh, you know, but but as you say, there's, there's Josh, there's Tim, there's Jack. There's so, there's so many of these, these great guys who we've been able to, build relationships with over a number of years now and 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 you are able to pick up the phone and, and you know some, sometimes the conversation is you know we played against life last weekend wow this there was a the blindside flanker there who was amazing and that's not even the life coach <laughs> that's not even the life coach giving me that feedback that might be you know some you know the the, the opposition guy so it's um uh, it, it's important to build up those relationships and you know have those conversations but we we're also very lucky as well matt because with modern technology now, you know, there's, there's so many more of the games that are being filmed. There's so many of the games that are being coded and, you know, being able to pick up the film of a, of a young kid. The, the, the big challenge, and even 
you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm don't mind admitting it. it. What is difficult is to measure the standards. You know, when you're watching a club game or you're watching a college game and you don't necessarily know the standard of the game and whether the player can go from that level to MLR and whether he can make a step up from MLR to test match rugby. That's the difficulty. You know, that's, you know, something that's always, always been a challenge and, and always will continue to be a challenge. It's, it's, it's difficult, you know, so, um, but, but by and large, um, you know, you do rely on, on the great knowledge and, and experience of, of so many of these coaches at the clubs and the colleges that are around. Hey, we got to hold it there for a second and take a quick break. We'll be right back. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig and Whistle on West 36th Street. I've been blind since I was four. And I've never seen a beer commercial or a beer label. None of that stuff influences me. I drink beer because of the taste. And my beer is Pabst Blue Ribbon. It has a taste and the flavor. What do you think's on the label? I think there's a, a naked woman riding on a unicorn, jumping over fire. Oh, that's good beer. with Team USA men's 15s head coach, Gary Gold. I want to get your gauge on the 12s being proposed around the world. My initial feeling is probably very similar to how I felt when, you know, they were proposing the 10s down in Bermuda, for example. I mean, I know it's a different form of, of rugby and it could take on a different shape, but um, I think there's an element of excitement around it. You know, it's, it's an element of another potential league where, guys can get to play rugby you know um and again uh, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm a bit of an optimist but i see good things about it you know i i do I, I see it's another platform for guys to get to play rugby and you know guys we love the sport we love rugby it, it's a, it's a sport where in many places it's a struggling sport it's a sport that that that, that is struggling to pay its way in a lot of cases we wish it wasn't the case. We wish it was a, a filthy rich sport and it isn't at the moment. And lots of owners and lots of clubs and, you know, lots of franchises around the world are really, really struggling. Super Rugby struggling, for example. The premiership owners are struggling to make ends meet and it's very expensive. MLR is a difficult, um, uh, cost-effective, it, it's, it's a very difficult business to run, although it's a very exciting league that's starting up. So this is another form of, the game of rugby and it's, it's entertaining and um, I think there can be some really exciting value that can come out of it. What about those weekend warriors behind those keyboards that are slamming their fists with harumph saying that we're just six downs away from being rugby league? <laughs> well, they're still, they're still going to be scrums in 12s. So, um, and there's no six downs. So, um, Yet. You, know, you know, change, change, there isn't, there isn't there. But uh, the, the cha- change is sometimes something that we, we're not very good at, you know, none of us are very good at change. You know, it's, uh, I've seen the evolution of cricket as well. You know, I grew up and a lot of people in America don't necessarily know much about cricket. We know nothing. You know, we know nothing cricket about cricket. Used to be yeah. A five day game. So it was base, basically baseball over five days. That's what cricket was. Right. It was a baseball right. game over five days. Instead of nine innings, 
it could go on for five days. So, Which I'm okay with. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the long and the short of it is they found that they wanted to have a shorter version of it, and hence the game went from five days to a couple of hours where you only had 20 overs, which was basically a pitcher could only throw the ball six times and there were only five pitches or whatever the case may be. Is I'm trying to give you a baseball analogy. And a baseball game, instead of being nine innings at the moment, would be over after two innings and you could get four teams playing in a day and you could fill out Fenway Park because there's, there's, there's four teams playing and not two teams playing. Right. And it was more of a spectacle. And the answer was yes. So you're, you're basically in any rugby as good rugby guy. To a degree, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I, jokes aside, I wouldn't want to see the abolition of the scrums. I wouldn't want to see six down. I wouldn't want to see the game going to rugby league because rugby league does exist. But no problem with rugby league. It's just not our sport. So just keep it, you know, there, there are scrums in sevens and, you know, nobody's up in arms about sevens. People have come to accept sevens and enjoy sevens and you enjoy it. I enjoy it. And uh, so we can, we, we can enjoy another format of the game. But don't, take the essence of the game away, which is, you know, that we're not going to limit the amount of downs and we're not going to take the scrum away and we're not going to et cetera, et cetera. 12s could be a very exciting, could be a very exciting game. You know, in, in retrospect or in a relative sense, professional rugby has only been around since what, 1996. So it's pretty much in its infancy and everything is just still evolving and trying to figure out what it is. Right. So all these different iterations, they might offer something that might be cool to be in ultimately what the final product is going to be. And I'm going, I go back to that uh, rugby X, which I went to in London. And one of the cool things they had was in overtime, they had a one-on-one where you're like 10 meters out and it's just one tackler that you have to beat. Yeah. Right. I mean, these little, that would be crazy to decide a 15s match on that, but you know, some of these little innovations that might seem crazy, you know, 20 years down the road would be, oh, yeah, you remember back in 2021 when they implemented that? That was cool. Yeah. Or, or that was ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. And it, it's, uh, oh, look, Matt, the truth of the matter is, I, I actually don't know much about what's going to happen with the 12s other than what I've read, which I suppose is the same as what you've read. I really don't know very much more about it, you know. But all, all, all I'm saying is, my immediate reaction is not to throw the baby out of the bathwater and panic and, Oh my goodness, 15s is now dead. I don't think it is. You know, I don't think 15s will be dead. We still got the World Cup. It's still the third biggest spectacle on the planet. Um, uh, there is just too much interest in rugby World Cup. What if it's every two years? Yeah, I don't think I don't think it'll be that that case. I mean, uh, again, you know, that hasn't been the case with soccer. It hasn't been the case with the Olympics. Um, uh, you know, and I don't think that that it'll be the case. And I don't think that they will allow. I don't think they will allow, um, they, they, they wouldn't, and I say this with respect, they wouldn't cheat in the World Cup. I wouldn't think so. And I don't think the sport can afford a rugby World Cup every two years, if yeah. I'm honest with you. I mean, it's too disruptive. Big expense, and it kind of takes away the the shine for a country that hosts it because you're going to say, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to skip going to Ireland. I'll go to, I'll go to Spain next year yeah. or in, in two years. You know, you know what I mean? So it's like yeah. kind of diminishes that. Do you think... There should be a global calendar. Is it impossible? No, I don't think it's impossible. Um, yes, I do think there should be a global calendar. Um, I, I, somebody's got to move. I mean, the fact of the matter is, um, for whatever it was, 10 years or 11 years of coaching Super Rugby, uh, whether we liked it or not, whether we admitted it or not, 
we basically were playing the game all year round. I mean, Super Rugby preseason started in November, December, uh, and January. We started playing our first games in February, which is the height of summer, the absolute height of summer. Um, and literally, you know, the Super Rugby finals were in August, July, August, whatever right. it was, July, August, depending whether it was Super 10, 12, 14, 18, or whatever it was. Um, and, you know, you went then, you went straight into Curry Cup and then into international season. So you played all year round in any case. So, and everybody is pretty much playing all year round. So if you take us in the States at the moment, we'll play MLR for the first six months of the year. And then the international season will be the next six months of the year. So why on earth not just align that with everybody in the global game? You know, play your domestic game all at the same time of the year, because it's not as if, well, it's summer here and it's winter there. I mean, yeah, we yeah. are playing it, there's no there's no different challenges to the global game than we have just with our own MLR game here in the States because of the seasons of right. New York, January versus um, versus New Orleans or, you know, Texas yeah. or Houston in summer. Exactly. So those are the same challenges. We have to work around them. So, no, it's not impossible. Well, I've been impossible. saying, you know, I've been saying all along, I, I don't think they should schedule those games for the Northeast teams or the cold weather teams on the road in the MLR, because Green Bay Packers can play in on the frozen tundra of Lambeau field in zero degrees Fahrenheit with a ton of snow. And then the next weekend you, they could be playing in Miami. And as a guy that went to the university at Buffalo, we never missed a game because of snow and we had snow yeah. all the time. We wouldn't have played. So I say the fans will embrace it. And the league should embrace it. I understand there's a cost-effective thing here because we're not, you know, we're not the NFL, certainly. And you have the reality of cleaning fields off and stands and seats out, which is an added expense. But down the road, you know, I think, you know, the two, three seasons, they ought to just scrap that whole thing and worry about worrying about cold or too hot and just do it. And that kind of be the model for the global calendar. Yeah, and I think the global calendar will have quite a lot more room to manoeuvre than that. I mean, I don't think you'd have to do that because, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure taking taking an international test match to zero degrees Fahrenheit would actually right, work. Right, right, right. But, yeah. but um, the fact of the matter is there's, an, there's enough time and space in, in, in the calendar. Um, the, the big question is, is really around the traditionists. You know, are, you, are they prepared to play the Six Nations at a different time of year? for example, you know, and, that, and interestingly enough, that's where the stumbling blocks come in. That's where the stumbling blocks come in. That's where um, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it sounds strange that that's the only, one of the only stumbling blocks, but I'm sure there are a few others. In fact, I know there are a few others, but that seems to be like one of the only, like the big, one of the biggest stumbling blocks is, you know, moving competitions that are traditionally at that time of year, you know. So interestingly enough, from, from, a, t- from a sport that, you know, as we've mentioned before, is by and large struggling financially. And I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to make dollars and pounds in rugby at the moment. Um, You're preaching uh, to the choir. It, yeah, exactly. But uh, the fact, what, what I'm saying is, I think a global calendar will actually really help that. It would really help that because there will be a club game and the club game will take part in a certain time of year. And then you'll contract players to play club rugby. And then if they're good enough, then there'll be a smaller portion who'll play international rugby. And, you know, you pay your club players club rugby and you play your international players. And, because a lot of the costs that are coming at the moment are coming because of the crossover. Yeah. 
they, they, they're coming because you, you're having to pay lots of money to clubs to release players, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that, uh, you know, those kind of fees and, uh, in other countries, not necessarily in our country. Yeah, you sound, you sound like you know what you're talking about. So, uh, you know, maybe everything that's said on Twitter isn't true after all. A little bit of what's said is true, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. I see what you did there. And just like that, we are out of time. Thank you, Coach, and thank you for tuning in. Please check out our other segment in this interview. And also, Chris Robshaw, the England star turned Major League Rugby San Diego Legion star, as you've never seen him before. The Drink Up with Colby Marshall and Zach Lanning and our new segments around the URC, the Ultimate Rugby Championship, and college rugby. 